Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Our Father, we are so grateful that Jesus, in all of his offices, is the, not only the great physician, but the wonderful counselor. He's the one who counsels us by his own word, and he's wonderful. He really does wonderful things. Thank you especially for your work and our brother Joe. Thank you for our brother Brian, for the work that he's doing in biblical counseling. Lord, we pray that he will be able to inform us and challenge us today with the issues we're facing in our rapidly changing culture. We pray in the name of our sovereign King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Turning it over to you. Thank you, Pastor Shisko. That's okay. No, no, no. no. I got myself some coffee. Okay, I'm just going to begin while you're finding your seats. It's wonderful to be here tonight. Pastor Shisko was my pastor in Franklin Square for many years. And I am very thankful for his ministry. I love the message today. And I have so many truths of biblical revelation together. And he hit on... Uh, several of the points that I hope to hit on today. So, and I do want to say, especially as a man of God and a man of the Word of God, he and his fellow elders, fellow leaders at the Franklin Square Church were faithful to the Word, not fearful of man. When they... Oh, that's fine. Okay. When they exercised a necessary aspect of biblical and church polity and revelation on my behalf, actually, because church discipline is designed to restore one to the Lord and by God's grace. (laughs) That was the case in my case. I never stopped believing But because of my own sin, I was down and depressed and left the church for a time. But thankful for their godly wisdom and discipline, God has graciously restored me. Hallelujah. And when I retired then, it inspired me to want to help others. And I did that by going and getting a master's degree in biblical counseling and well on a way to a doctorate now, not in counseling, but in biblical studies. Uh, I was just telling Margaret uh, about that, about a year away. So I understand you folks are reading uh, Paul David Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, and studying that chapter by chapter. I still call that the the primer, the primer for biblical counseling. It's a wonderful book. I still think it's my favorite book of all the books I've read in biblical counseling. However, it was written in 2002. We've had 21 years since then of a rapidly changing culture and having to deal with things that we could never have even conceived of having to deal with before that time. So today, and you know, in biblical counseling, so often we're taught that we have to get into the weeds, get right into the weeds. Um, Of course, humbly listen to people, to their stories, to their problems, deal with them, uh, come alongside them, deal with them as a sinner. And these are all things in, in, in that book you're studying. But 
My talk today, I want to go a little bit bigger, pic a, a bigger picture and beyond that and talk about things that we're experiencing in our culture and how we might consider those things biblically and in terms of biblical counseling as well. So I've been doing biblical counseling now for about eight years. I, and I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to stick more closely to my notes today so that I can go quicker and get through this because I really want to be helpful to you all and try to get through uh, as much of this as possible. We'll see. So if I shut up and just read my notes. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mentioned thanks to Pastor Shisko, to the, uh, to the church. Uh, a sad thing in biblical counseling on that note that I've experienced several times now, and by the way, the world is changing so fast, so quickly, I am inundated with cases. Now, I don't charge for biblical counseling. I have a way to, they have to make a deposit. I'm not working for a church. It's a ministry, not a business. So maybe that's part of the reason, but it's more complicated problems uh, and more problems. So... Uh, I see a lot of that. But one of the things, very sadly, that I see is when I'm dealing with people from another church, <clears throat> uh, I'll get to a point where we really need to include the elders of the church and, and, and go through maybe a discipline problem. Here's what I hear way too often. We don't do church discipline here. It's one of the saddest things I can possibly hear. Where do we go from here? Now you're leaving it up to the counselor to, uh, to try to deal with these issues. I, I could even tell more related stories to that, but you know, I'm moving on. So, um, so there are, let's see, this is a symptom of a deeper problem of compromising the word of God. Fearing man rather than God, as we heard about the fear of the Lord today, fear of the Lamb. <clears throat> um, so, to the point now <clears throat> that we are in a rapidly declining church and a rapidly declining culture. It's the age-old warfare, the enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That's your holy war in the biggest picture, is it not? Um, and, the, and Genesis 3.15, you mentioned it today, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent. I call that verse, and I teach that verse in biblical counseling all the time because it's the starting point of the fall. If we don't understand the fall, that we are sinners before a holy God, how can we understand who and what Jesus is and does? So... Uh, we, and, and we see so much compromise in the church today. So many, especially the big mega churches, not to completely uh, uh, talk about every one of them, that's not the case. But in many of the big mega churches, we just see compromise, no discipline, and they come, become almost preaching and entertainment centers. And even the preaching part is, subs is suspect. Uh, in way too many of them. So, what do I do when I get people from these situations? I love them as best I can with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deal with them where they are, and yet don't compromise the word, because that's not loving them, that's not helping anybody. So, 
Um, so where does this start? Where does this begin? Bill knows, Margaret knows, I've been studying creation science for many years now, and I've developed um, a way of thinking about it, and I think the beginning is right there at the foundation. If we compromise the foundation, the foundation crumbles into sand and we build our house, our church, upon sand instead of a solid foundation on the rock, capital R, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it's the age-old warfare. I call Genesis 3.15 the plot generator. For the rest of the Bible, it really is the plot generator. As in any movie, usually five or ten minutes into the movie, you see some scene that depicts the plot or... or um, <coughs> Uh, summarizes the plot, which we're going to see working out in the rest of the film. Well, that's what Genesis 3.15 is to the rest of the Bible. The warfare, the enmity, the conflict between Christ and Satan, between Christ's people and Satan's people, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So in biblical counseling, we get into the weeds. Let's look at this from a bigger picture perspective. I also work in two different jails. Uh, with incarcerated men and do counseling with them after if they are willing. And it's a volunteer thing. I've had many encouragements and many uh, disappointments. I'll tell you one quick encouragement right now. I was going to say this for later, but Sonny, I get a call about a month ago. I work in, the, I'm credentialed in the Loudoun County Jail in Northern Virginia and over the mountains in the Winchester Jail been credentialed in Loudoun. You guys went through Winchester, right? Right off 81. That's Winchester. But that's in Virginia, but it's on the west side of the Blue Ridge, right? So it's about an an hour. The other is about a half hour. Anyway, um, I've been working in Loudoun for seven or eight years now, only in Winchester for a year. I get a call a month ago, Brian, it's Sonny. Now this is Sunil Nassim a converted Muslim man who was one of my best students in the Loudoun jail, a sponge for the things of God. I loved teaching him and others. So, And I, we find that a lot in the jail system. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I was going to ask somebody for that. Um, so. That's my husband. Obey. <laughs> we all have a role to play. <laughs> Given by God. So. Yeah, so, Sonny says, Brian, it's Sonny. I said, Sonny, where are you? He said, I got transferred to the state penitentiary in Southern Virginia, Jared, Virginia. I said, okay, well, I hope things go well for you. I'm here for you. He says, but I got something to tell you. He says, do you know Tony Drago? I said, of course I know Tony Drago. But I know Tony from Winchester, and I know you from Loudoun. How do you know Tony Drago? He said... Well, he's been transferred here also, and he's my cellmate. Wow. (laughs) And he said, this is one of the most encouraging things to me. He said, Brian, we're studying the Bible together this morning, and we're looking at each other's notes, and I'm looking at his notes, and your name is on the bottom. (laughs) So that was very encouraging. We've had plenty of disappointments, too. But as Pastor said before, We do our job and we leave it up to the Lord. 
The greatest cardiologist in the world cannot change your heart biblically. Only God can do that. We bring the gospel that Jesus left for us and declares that we should bring to others. So, uh, so it's a common complaint that I hear from young people and read many studies that the, the highest level of complaint amongst young people who leave the church is they can't see the compatibility between the Bible and science. It, it happens all the time. And I believe that the main reason is for 200 years now, the church has compromised not totally, but by and large, the church has compromised with modern science and says and say things like, well, the Bible is not a science book. Granted, the Bible is not a science book, but the Bible is true. Yes. The history of it is true. When God teaches us through Moses that he created the earth and the universe in six days, that's what he means. It happened that way. The fallen heart of man can devise other hypotheses and can devise ways, even with, with reasonable calculations, that it must have happened another way. But there's no way they can fit their billions of years into the Bible anywhere it doesn't fit. So, so they end up compromising more and more and more. They compromise by first by saying that uh, there is no death before the fall because the fossil record shows animals eating other animals, animals with cancer, animals with all kinds of defects. These are results of the fall, but when they're billions of years evolutionary system, they are saying that's part of evolution. So what they're effectively saying is there's death before the fall. What does Jesus say? He comes to conquer the last enemy, which is death. It was the first enemy, and it is the last enemy. What did he say? Don't eat of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden, because the, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Death was the first enemy. Death is the last enemy. Jesus conquers death. <laughs> I'm getting way off my script here, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, so, if we have undermined the Word of God by modern science for 200 years and told people that we evolved from animals, what are we surprised about if we see people acting like animals in our culture today? And more and more and more. <clears throat> So, page one of, of five. I'm speeding up. <clears throat> so, our topic is evidence of rapid change in a fallen world. Um, <clears throat> some of the symptoms of, under, of undermining the Word of God, which is really what modern science does, and the church allows in. Some churches won't even discuss the issue because it's too controversial. But if you do nothing, what do you think Satan's going to do with that? He's going to take the ball and run with it. In every high school, oh, almost every school of higher 
education, in every museum, in everywhere, in magazine articles, newspaper articles, scientific journals, we see billions of years spoken of as the age of the earth. That is not possible in terms of biblical revelation. So, this is a foundational attack on the Word of God. Here are some things taken from 2 Timothy 3, Matthew 24, and other places. Just a composite summary of things that I've experienced, that we've all experienced, especially in the last 20 years, where we see our culture changing. <clears throat> we see truth denied. We see liars, which is the opposite of truth. Satan is the, the prince of liars, the original liar. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His word is truth. So, revelation denied, and Satan is a liar. Number two, self-love, pride. We talked about it earlier. And this, all of these things are interconnected in many ways. We break them down for more full understanding, but they're really interconnected. <clears throat> pride, follow, what does our culture say? Follow your own heart. Follow your dreams. What does the scripture say? Our hearts are desperately wicked. We shouldn't follow our own hearts. We should learn from the word how to follow God with our full hearts. That's what the scripture teaches. Not, to, not that we are God. That's Satan's life from the beginning, isn't it? I will be as the most high. And his, the seed of the serpent follows that pattern, right? Um, even the concept of pride, we see uh, the, the seventh one I have here is the whole LGBT thing. But the word pride, I'll pick up, they pick up on that word and they blaspheme God by using as the symbol of their movement the, the rainbow, which is a covenant symbol by God at the end of Noah's flood of peace and uh, that the earth will experience uh, the seasons until the final consummation, the return of the Lord. It's a, it's a covenant of God to us. They Steal that. As Pastor said, we don't hate them, especially when they come for counseling. And I've had these issues come to me. I don't hate on them. I deal with them where they are. But, uh, but in a biblical way, and I don't compromise the scripture. Uh, we were talking about Rosaria Butterfield earlier. She has, in the past couple of months, de- uh, publicly written a public repentance of something she wrote in earlier books. I love Rosaria's writing. Amen. I follow, I've read every one of her books, and but I always disagreed with one thing. It was like gnawing at me. Why is she calling her male friend, who's becoming a woman, by the pronoun she and her, instead of by that person's genetic makeup, her, her original biological maleness, and she said she did it. And I understand this, coming out of the background she came from. She said she did it, just as I just said, <clears throat> to meet somebody where they are. 
but that crosses the line of biblical standards. What did God tell us right in Genesis 1? He made us all in God's image, male and female. There's only two kinds of people. Now, because of the fall, there can be some chromosomal damage and so forth, and those are very, very, very rare exceptions, uh, but that you don't build a whole theology on rare exceptions. God says he created them male and female. He gave us roles in those gendered differences. But these are things that are obvious to all people. Have never, I mean, we've always had homosexuality going way back to Sodom and Gomorrah and probably before. Uh, very prominently Bad choice of words. Very uh, sadly, fully displayed in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God fully displayed his judgment on that. And then we see the word abomination used in that. In the, but still, I don't treat this person in front of me as an abomination. I treat him or her. <clears throat> I, don't, I do not counsel women alone, only in the context of a family situation. But so this fellow sitting before me, I don't <clears throat> um, judge him in the in the sense of abomination of his behavior. I treat him with respect as as created in the image of God. But let's correct one thing that the culture too often says: the term "child of God" is not the same as "image of a God." Image of God is how we respect all people. Child of God is a fellow believer with us. That's how the scripture uses that term. And it's an often misunderstood term. Okay, so self-love, pride, follow your own heart, no self-control. We are called to love God, to serve others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Another, the next point is authority. Authority against uh, uh, disobedience to parents is the first aspect of authority that we learn as little children. Authority, uh, uh, obedience to authority of government. Pastor mentioned it before. Romans 13. Do you know that Paul wrote Romans 13? Who, the, who under the uh, government of Nero? And he wrote that very close, very clear statements there. We're to obey authority, even when it's Nero, as much as possible. If Nero tells us to do something disobedient to God, we don't obey that. That's clear in the book of Acts and many other places. But generally speaking, we obey the government as God-appointed authority for our good. We have anarchy like, <clears throat> like Port-au-Prince in Haiti uh, right now if we don't obey authority. Gangs rule the street. We have a missionary family there whom I know well and have uh, been praying for for years. And they, they can't function normally now. But the Delphils are still there. They are Haitian. They are. He is preaching every week. An amazing man. He was in the uh, New Horizons a month or two ago. A powerful article. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting off the tracking. Um, so authority. Violence, brutal, perilous times. These are language in some of those passages that I meant. Since the fall, 
What happened? We, God said, if you do this, there will be death. <clears throat> and what happened in the first generation of Adam and Eve's sons? The older son killed the young, the second son. Fortunately, graciously, God raised up other sons later and the line of Christ would come through Seth. And we, we are so thankful for that line, for the salvation of the whole world in, in terms of the gospel going out to the whole world. Um, okay, violence, love of money. Probably the most oft misquoted verse in the whole Bible. It's a, people say, oh, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. It says the love of money is the root of, of evil or all kinds of evil, right? That's what the scripture says. And we know from many passages of scripture how it is difficult for the rich to enter heaven. God gives grace to the poor and humble. The rich have pride in their ability Money, the money is not evil in itself. We need money as the currency of this world. But if our trust is in the money, which is very uh, tempting to any person with a lot of money, um, that's why those passages are, are, are there. <clears throat> Love of money. And, and just one more note on that. I... I'm not a sports fanatic, but I grew up playing sports, and I love certain sports. Joe and I were talking a little bit about it before. Um, but I look at the salaries of what athletes are making today. There is a, an, a complete, we've lost our minds. The, the, average, the average salary on the Boston Celtics average is $24 million per person per year. Uh, the football salaries, the, it's just out. A doctor or a, a, prof, a professional doesn't make anywhere near that, right? Um, uh, we could all talk plenty about that, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Love of money. False Christs and false prophets, we see them with the health and wealth gospel, all kinds of things um, on uh, propagating all their lies all over the earth. And I think that is just going to get worse based on things what the, that the scripture actually says. And then number seven, sexual sin. We see just confusion, conf, absolute confusion um, in, in the world today. And what I like to say to people is, you know, regarding same-sex marriage and Gender different, gender dysphoria and uh, gender confusion and all this kind. Uh, think about it from the designer's point of view. Same-sex marriages can't produce another generation of people without crazy amount of money and modern science that does things, you know. And and some of that now is being forced even down to children without telling parents. A 13-year-old boy or a girl reaching puberty is confused on this issue because everybody around them is telling them, oh, it's okay, this is a viable option. What do you think? No wonder they're confused. And then if they show any kind of propensity toward that, 
They don't tell the parents and they start treatments. And this is happening all over. It, it is just disgusting. I live in Loudoun County and Loudoun County has been sort of the uh, hub of some of this stuff. Yeah. So think of it from the designer's point of view. And a passage that I often use in biblical counseling when some of these, not only uh, perverse sexual sins, but I mean... Premarital sex is nothing in our culture. It used to be taboo. It's not, but it is taboo in God's word. And uh, so, I often go to First Corinthians uh, six and verses nine through eleven. And many of you know the passage and probably use it. Uh, yeah, First Corinthians six. Do you not know that unrighteous that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. We're, we can be possibly deceived on this point. We can tell people, we can, people, even Christians can tell us, well, that's not a loving attitude to have toward that person. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. If this is the pattern of your life, you will not have, inherit the kingdom of God. Anyone can make a mistake, cry out to God in repentance and faith, and be forgiven for it. And we know that because of the very next verse, which is the most encouraging verse, I think, in the New Testament on this whole subject. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, and I mentioned, oh, I didn't mention what Rosarius said, did I? (laughs) Sorry, I only get back to Rosaria. She in her earlier books wrote from that perspective of using the pronouns that the people want out of deference to them. She has repented of that publicly now and said, I recant those writings. I no longer use pronouns except that which is the biological proper pronoun that God produced in terms of a male or a female. So, we're thankful for that. And, and she has a very big voice, so we can be very thankful for that. I know you know her and had her on your radio shows. She's wonderful. I, I wouldn't let even those earlier writings uh, hinder somebody from reading her books, but keep that in mind. She has repented of those uses of pronouns. Did somebody want to say something? Okay. <clears throat> um, Feel free to interject, too. Uh, You know, this is uh, a time for helping each other, okay? So many churches are affected by these sins. Um, Why? Because they've built, in too many cases, their house on the sand instead instead of the rock of Christ. That's one reason, and I'm going to talk about the... Uh, Genesis stuff very briefly in a minute. But the other thing is 
First Peter 4.17, judgment begins at the house of God. It's not God judging our nation so much now as in the Old Testament. The church of the New Testament is, is where God's people are. God dwells with us, we with him. That is the people of God he's taking to the new heavens and the new earth. And all of the Old Testament believers who were true believers, uh, having their sins paid for by the same blood that ours are paid for because God is outside of time and he can do that. But uh, so that's the two sides of that. So a very brief overview, and I'm going to stick to my notes carefully here in the interest of time. Brief overview of the foundational attack on the Bible that has so come into the church in the last 200 years. Bible is not a science book. That's what they say. No, but it's true. Charles Lyell, the first well-known geographer around the uh, early, very early 1800s, said that it was his goal. In his introduction to his book on geography, he said it was his goal to find a naturalist answer to dispel Moses. That was his goal, to dispel the Bible, to find a naturalist approach. And he was the first one to to speak in terms of deep time. Now, at that time, he only spoke in terms of a million years. That's nothing what they're talking about today. 14 billion years. But they had to start somewhere. Now they're working backwards. So. <clears throat> That's Lael. Uh, so, and he also said that the key, the present is the key to the past. And so this is where the concept in 2 Peter 3 comes of uniformitarianism. They will take, um, a, you know, a river going through a canyon and say, oh, it's, uh, it's eroding by two millimeters a year. Therefore, it's millions of years that this thing has been eroding like this by the canyon. That, that's what they do. That's uniformitarianism. So the present is the key to the past in modern science. The Bible says just the opposite. The past is the key to the present because God tells us what he did in the beginning. God tells us what he did with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If he didn't tell us that, how would we know? He reveals it to us in his word. So uh, I'll speed this up. There, present science. Well, how much time do I have? I'm on page three of five. I'm getting there. <laughs> uh, let's see. So nowhere in the Bible is there a possibility for billions of years. They say death before the fall. They have to. They say that Noah's flood was a local flood. It's preposterous when you read Genesis 6 through 9, especially 7 through 9. God tells us clearly that the, ma- the water was above the highest mountains. How does, that, how does that generate a local flood? And why would he have to bring the animals to Noah? Because animals will just repopulate and fill in where, they, where there's no population. Why would that have to be? So, and a big, right here I'll just say this. A, a legitimate question that people, well how did, if, if dinosaurs were before and after the ark, uh, after, after the flood, how did Noah, come on, how did Noah get dinosaurs on the ark? The average size of dinosaurs is the size of a sheep, and dinosaurs, like reptiles, grow their whole lives. 
So they had small dinosaurs who were just coming into their childbearing years on the ark, and they had them in the pens with all the other animals. And they, they, uh, 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 they propagated their, their kinds just like all the other animals did. There are reasonable answers to all these things by uh, creation scientists who are doing yeoman, wonderful work today. By the way, at the end, I have uh, um, made up a resources list, but I want to add to it and change a couple of things. So I'll email it to you, Pastor, if you can distribute it another day. Or uh, I'm not going to do it today. I'm not finished with it. So... There are many things like this that, in, in fact, I will leave my cards here, and anybody who has a question can email me on any of this stuff if you want to, and I'll send you some resources that way also. All right, um, so the, they, they have to say death before the fall, they have to say local flood, they can't fit millions of years into the Bible, so what do they do? They basically ignore Genesis 1 and 2 and, and make it a metaphor or poetry of some type, which it's not. It's history, and uh, deal with it that way. Okay. Yeah. So, and uh, God created in six days. He created evening and mo- evenings and mornings. Here's another thing. God created, says it right in Genesis. He's created the earth first. Not 10 million, 10 billion years after he created other galaxies and, and so forth. Out, he created the earth first. Then he created uh, the other cosmo, or, or, uh, 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 celestial uh, bodies. That's what it says in Genesis. Do we believe the Lord couldn't do that? then why are we so skeptical? Why don't we believe what the Lord says? <laughs> so, um, he, another important point, <coughs> he created things in their maturity. So Adam and Eve were ready to childbearing years. The, the trees, some trees in the garden were already bearing fruit. Others grew from seedlings. And the, another point re- directly related to that is he created everything after its kind. Darwin says everything came from one, uh, from one point, and the tree of life all came from one amoeba or a single-celled animal. Where'd that thing come from, anyway? <coughs> no, God created all things in their kinds. All the elephants that we see today came from the first two elephants, all the dogs, all the horses. And we can see, even in dogs and horses, particularly in other kinds of animals, rapid change from generation to generation by breeding technique, by, by uh, adaptation to environment. That's where the differences in humans come from, by adaptation to environment, not from hominids coming up in Africa and in Asia and in Europe and having different races spring up independently. That evolutionary teaching breeds racism. I teach in the jails, guys, we're all one race. We all came from two people. Guys are very appreciative of that in uh, in the jails. And it's actually, I asked one of the guards once, are we actually helping here? Are we 
creating a little unity amongst He said, brother, if you weren't, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so we're, we're doing some good by God's grace, even in the general population. So, um, so their folly results in death before the four local uh, billions of years. It under, and the key thing is, it undermines the word of God. How can they then go back to Genesis if they're really dismissing almost all of Genesis 1 through 11? How can then they go back dealing with the problems that we've mentioned and see all around us today and say, well, God created them in the beginning, male and female. No, you've wiped out that part of the Bible. (laughs) They've undermined the Bible. They wouldn't say they've wiped it out. They would say, well, that's obviously true. Well, so then you're the authority? You're picking and choosing what's true and what's not true? That becomes a very subjective thing. Totally dangerous. It's Barthian. We don't want to go there. So, uh, so kinds, remember, where every animal is created after its kind, and the trees and the plants, all the vegetation as well. Uh, man is created in God's image. Imago Dei, we have our different role. Equal in the grace of life, different in terms of the roles that God has assigned to us. No man in this room can have a baby. It's pretty simple. <coughs> uh, and another thing that's important, I think it's in verse, Genesis 1, verse 28 and 29. God provided, it tells us right there, it's right there in Genesis 1. That he provided a vegetarian diet for, ma- for mankind and animals. Well, then why do we believe that the animals ate each other in the geologic history? No, that happened. That, that's a result of the flood. It happened after the fall. So it's really, it all makes sense when we see uh, <clears throat> the work of Organizations like Answers in Genesis, Creation Ministries International, ICR, uh, the Institute of Creation Research, they're all doing wonderful work. Uh, Answers in Genesis, some of you may be familiar with, that's where the big Noah's Ark is built in Kentucky. I've been there with my grandkids, been there four or five times for conferences and so forth. Saw the Gettys there, that was great. (laughs) And uh, uh, so it's a wonderful ministry in place. All right, uh, so it's, and God says, declares at the end of his six days of creation that it was all very good. We are actually blaming God for death and cancer and everything else if we believe that God put that in the fossil record. They don't think through all of those things when we bring them up. They have, uh, I won't go into some of their answers. Time. Uh, young earth is important. The Bible points everywhere to the fact that it's a young earth. I personally don't do the study of the actual years. Some people are really into that. That's great. It's somewhere between six and 7,000 years old, but it's not billions of years old. Okay. And what does the New Testament say? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Everything in the New Testament is, is pushing toward the return of Christ because we are not complete in these sinful bodies. We're only partially there to the, confirmation, the consummation. God has changed our hearts. We have redeemed and regenerated souls, 
But the full extent of our redemption, we don't see until the consummation. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. Okay, I'm on page five. The last few things. Um, Some general observations from my biblical uh, counseling experience. If anybody needs to needs to leave, you won't offend me if you go. I'm just trying to get through through the last few minutes um, uh, as quickly as possible. My general observations. First is Satan's mo, his modus operandi, has not changed. What did he say in the garden? Has God said? What's the first thing he does? He gets us to doubt God's word, and then. He embellishes upon that, and then he comes with the lie. Satan's MO hasn't changed. He's just gotten a whole lot smarter over the last 6,000 years from his own experience. He's, a, he's a way smarter than we are, but he's, but he's under God's providence. Amen. And all these negative things I've been talking about, you know where I'm going. The most positive thing uh, that we can possibly think of is the consummation in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of the thrust of the whole Bible goes from the temporal to the eternal. We see that in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. I won't even uh, go there. can look that up. All right, last few things. Biblical counseling is to be Christocentric, gospel-oriented. Man caused the problem at the fall, so man has to be part of the solution. But we're fallen. We have fallen hearts. We're, we're, the wages of sin is death. We're dead in, our, in ourselves. So how does that work? God created a way to make that work. He made the God-man. He made the perfect man. His son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who obeyed the law of God for us and went to the cross, as Pastor said numerous times today, as our substitute, I'm saying using a different word, but he went on our behalf there and paid the price for our sin. Um, number four, pray, pray, pray. If we don't pray, we're not submitting to God and asking and help asking him to help us use the word to deal with our counselees. I'll, I'll tell this quickly. Alistair Begg, who's considered a very mild-mannered man and preacher, preached in Middleburg, my hometown, at, at one of our uh, local places. A friend of his uh, invited him there, and he preached to a men's group. It was wonderful. Not a church, um, but it was wonderful. And he said this, one of the most poignant things I've ever heard him say in a sermon regarding prayer. He, says, he said, here's the problem in the churches today. Christians spend more time praying to keep Christians out of heaven than to keep sinners out of hell. That's an indictment on us all, right? Of course we pray for our friends and family who have cancer or who, who have suffering of some sort. But suffering is normative in this world. God tells us that. We don't deny it or, or cast it off or, or, or make light of it, especially when it's in someone else. We might try to, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, put it down a little in ourselves. But that's a powerful statement. Let me read it again. Christians spend more time praying to keep Christians out of heaven 
than to keep sinners out of hell. We need to pray about the most important things, most vehemently and passionately. Of course, we pray for each other in our health issues, but we need to pray for soul issues and eternal issues. I say this to myself first. We all, and we all need to know the word better and better. If we're to be biblical counselors, then we need to know the Bible, study the word, read through it once a year, get a program to read that. And it's amazing how much your, in, your knowledge and your overall feel and grasp for the word will improve over two, three year period. Just keep doing it. Next, we need to call people to repentance. I mentioned the 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 passage. Next, we need to think temporally and eternally. Just what we're talking about with prayer here. I have I've developed friends through the prison ministry and other ways uh, in the legal system and, incarcerate, and the jail system uh, that are secular psychologists and social workers and stuff. A couple of, few of them are Christians, and I say to them, what's the difference? You know, they say, they tell me what the difference between what they do and what I do is. I didn't even need to prompt it. One said to me, Brian, um, he said, we, we're stuck in this system. We just go round and round in the system trying to help people a little bit temporally as best we can. You are helping people both temporally and eternally. That's what biblical counseling is. Uh, Do not assume saving faith with the kind of Christians, uh, kind of churches that we're seeing today. People come with serious problems. Sin is always at the root of the problem. But we can't just assume that the person is in the, uh, is is in uh, is saved. We can't assume that they're regenerated. We just deal with them where they are, and if we suspect they're not, if we see resistance or not uh, not living according to God's word. We have to consider that in our overall dealing with them. <clears throat> um, and I don't reject people. Some biblical counselors only want to deal with Christians. Well, how do you determine that? First of all. All of biblical counseling is both counseling and evangelism in, in, a, in a very real sense. We're bringing the gospel all the time when we're doing these things. <clears throat> um, finally, Christ is victorious. I'm not going to take the time to read Romans 8. Most of you know it. It's one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible. But I just want to say a couple other little anecdote things. Um, I mentioned that we we know that we go through suffering. Uh, Zachy, Zachy Abraham uh, talked about Philippians one twenty nine. In this we shall suffer. We know that. All right. Um, where's Anne? Uh, where's Nan? I should say. Oh, sorry. I read the Christian Partnership paper weekly, and a recent one was so encouraging to me. I've been following this for 10 years. Um, I report to our church, boil things down and report, not just China, but around the world. 10 years ago, a lot of Chinese pastors were um, 
doing a letter, a group letter, and asking Westerners to pray for their freedom, to pray for uh, the, the, to calm down the persecution by the government, this and that. It was help, help them with this kind of thing. The last one said, the pastors, it was something like, I don't know how many, many pastors signed this letter. And the bottom line was, don't pray for our freedom. Pray for our holiness. That's for you. <laughs> and so, final thing, I have a, a quiz for you. Whoops. <laughs> Is that, I'm timed out now? Is that, <laughs> all right, final quiz. 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read this, just a couple of, or a few, two, three verses, with some emphasis, and then I'm going to ask a question of the whole group at the end of my reading. Of course, the, the chapter begins with, or actually chapter 12 says, but earnestly desire the best gifts about spiritual gifts, and yet I know you, I, I, I show you a more excellent way. And it's about love. And it's the love suffers long. And is, all the way down to verse 11, it says this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. <clears throat> now we see in a mirror dimly. But then... Face to face. Now we know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And my question to you, the Haven Church, is why? Yes, sir. We won't need faith and hope in eternity. Exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Very few people get that. <laughs> Think about that. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. That's how we receive uh, redemption, right? God's grace with the open hand of faith brings us in union with Christ. Without faith it is impossible to please the Lord. Without hope, I know working in jails especially, without hope... People get depressed. They, they look down instead of up. It's, a miser it's misery. It's suffering all the time. We, our hope, biblically, is in the blessed hope of the return of the Lord. That's our biblical hope. But when we are redeemed, fully consummated, when we have our uh, uh, glorified bodies and we are in the presence of the Lord, do we need faith? No, we have sight. <laughs> Do we need hope? No, we have the reality before us. Amen. Faith and hope are realized in the consummation. Love is eternal. We have love now in the temporal. We ought to make it multiply as much as possible. Amen. But in eternity, we have love in Christ in His very presence. Amen. Amen. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for this time together. I ask your blessing upon this church, all these dear people. Father, thank you for these themes that you've given us in your word. 
We do not know these things innately in ourselves because we are dead in trespasses and sin. But in the redemption that you give us, in the grace that you give us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of redemption in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have these themes that we can discuss discuss and thank you for we know that christ is the victor in the end no matter how dark this world gets no matter how much your people are suffering we know that this even gives glory to you and we pray lord we pray how long our lord jesus christ come quickly that we may be have the fullness of redemption that we may be in your presence that we may bring others with us And that we may, in the meantime, do our counseling and our evangelism in ways that are a blessing to others, giving glory to you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At the conference, uh, we had a, a lady there who was um, a, a doctor, not a medical doctor, uh, but she worked with how certain plastics affect the growth of bones. Fascinating. And I said, hey, when I make comments about science, if I'm off the beam, let me know. One of them was this. You can throw this one in your hopper. You know, I said, macroevolution is the theory that hydrogen given enough time and the right circumstances, will eventually evolve into people. (laughs) And she said, that's exactly it. But this is what she said you'd be fascinated with. In Romans 1, when Paul says the unbelievers are without excuse, when I was working through that, again, for this conference, I'd never never seen it. The word is they are without an apologetic. We think of apologetics is our defending defense. Defense, right. The unbeliever does not have a defense for his or her unbelief. And this is one of the points she made. She had loads of them like this. She said, you know what bones are? They're jello and dust. Yeah. That's it. And science cannot explain that bones are among the strongest of materials in, in, in the whole created order. And she yes. said, there's loads of these things that, that science can't explain, and we shouldn't be on the defensive. But anyway, what the, thank you, Mr. Lee. Thank you, Pastor Shisko. <laughs> thank you.